thousand Americans dead since New Year's Day from COVID-19. 100,000 in one month. Well, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. And if you've lost a loved one, a friend, co-worker, fellow student, you already know how you're feeling about this. I think it's time to send the troops to Kalamazoo. The factory, the Pfizer factory in Kalamazoo, where they make the vaccine. I do not understand why that factory isn't working 24-7, round the clock, pumping out new doses of the vaccine. We're out of doses in many parts of the country. Our new head of the CDC said that she doesn't know how many doses there are. That's the head of the CDC. She doesn't know how many doses there are. So here I am. I'm in my, this is episode number 10 of the new year. Second season of Rumble, episode 10. And um, <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm sort of at a loss of words here. I just, I, I, and I'm and I'm at a loss for words here. I I um, well, first of all, thank God, you know we've got a new administration and new people in there. But they come in and it's like like the uh, the frat brothers had wrecked the federal government, and the new CDC director can't find the file that can tell her how many doses we have. I mean, I know people, they've gone for their first dose. They don't know if they're going to get their second dose. They've been sh they've been told, you will get your second dose. If you got the first one, we've already socked away your second dose for you. Come back on the day we gave you to come back. But then you've got Mary de Blasio saying, to hell with that. Um, just start giving out doses. Dr. Fauci is saying, no, don't do that. Because the whole point of this is once you've got the first dose, you got to get the second dose on time whether it's Pfizer, which is three weeks later, or Moderna, it's four weeks later. So there's this disagreement even within the government, the new government, of what to do. Um, I guess common sense, to me at least, says uh, don't give people that first dose if you can't promise the second dose. So if they get the first dose, they got to get the second one. Otherwise, you, I'm guessing you've lost some of the effectiveness of the first dose. My grandmother made machine guns. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't mean to say it in a tone of voice like, don't mess with me. This is how I was raised. Machine gun grandma. No, no. She she was uh, one of the Rosie the Riveters during World War II, working in the General Motors factory in Flint. And she was working on the AC spark plug line, General Motors, uh, making spark plugs. And one day the federal government came in 
Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, said, okay, General Motors, that's the end of making cars and spark plugs and everything else. That's the end of that. Firestone, you don't make tires anymore. Sorry. Just shut it down. And so we're taking over. We will now run the factories. I mean, you obviously, you need to stick around because you know how these things work. But um, but within literally weeks, my grandmother went from making spark plugs to machine guns. They retooled the assembly line at General Motors to, you know, a little, you know what a spark plug is, a little tiny spark plug. How do you go from making spark plugs to machine guns? But they did it. They did it in a matter of, of weeks. The Ford plant, car plant, down in Ypsilanti, Michigan, made Fords. Government came in, said, nope, not anymore. No more cars. Ford and General Motors did not make another car for the next three plus years. Almost four years of no cars. How can the government do that? Because they did. Because we were at war. Because we were attacked. Because there were fascists to fight. So they just did it. They had the legal authority to do it. And they came in and did it. Now, some companies didn't like that idea. Some companies uh, said, no, we're not going to participate. So then Roosevelt sent in either uh, federal marshals or the troops to arrest the CEO or the board of directors or the manager or the owner of the business, whoever it was, and hauled their ass out of there. Because because that fabric was needed to make uniforms. That was the case. I've told you this story before with Montgomery Ward, very famous department store back in the day, like Sears. And the government said, "No, you've got to. We need to. We need to make uniforms for the soldiers." And the CEO was like, "Hell with that. We're Montgomery Ward. You don't tell us what to do." Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> There's a war going on. And they, and they just sent the troops in downtown Chicago to the corporate headquarters of Montgomery Ward. He wouldn't get out of his chair. They go up to the corporate CEO's office. He wouldn't get up to be arrested. Just stay, just grabbed onto the chair. So two, two troops, two soldiers lifted him and brought him down on the street. And of course, press was there and they took pictures of the CEO being hauled away in his CEO chair. Uh, I, uh, I'll post that photo for you here on the website, uh, on the, on the platform you're listening to me on, just so you can see this incredible. This is what we need to be doing constantly with these corporate assholes. People's lives were at stake. Germans were in the process of killing 10 million people in concentration camps. They were in the process of killing over 20 million Russian civilians. No, you're not going to build cars this week, folks. You're going to build tanks. You're going to build planes. That Ford plant I mentioned down in Ypsilanti, they went in just a matter of uh, weeks or a month or two, they went from uh, this, this I'm, I'm pulling this from the great, you know, World War II documentary series that uh, Ken Burns did. They went, for, they went from making cars to making B-24s. The Ford factory in Ypsilanti, Michigan, they built B-24s uh, during the war. They went from building cars to building a plane on the assembly line. Planes, not a plane, planes. In fact, 
they built a plane, a fighter plane, one every 61 minutes. An entire plane. That's who we used to be. That's what we were about. Fucking dig in. Roll your sleeves up. All for the common good. Everybody together here. That's who we used to be. You know, I don't, I just remember, I remember my parents and my grandparents, they, look, I mean, they lived a hard life. Um, my dad, they were, they didn't have a lot of money. Uh, depression knocked them flat on their face. And um, all the boys in his family all ended up in the war. Four of them, uh, luckily enough, three came back. One died. But all we need right now are just some little doses of this vaccine that apparently it's not hard to make. And um, they had this figured out. And then what happened? Well, of course, there there was no federal government in large part for the last four years. It was defunded because uh, the taxes on the rich were brought way down. So they defunded the United States of America. You can't do that. You can't defund the the USA. Oh, yeah. They're all into defunding the Republicans and Trump. That's exactly what they did. And so now we don't have the doses, the doses that they make at the Pfizer plant in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Joe Biden, I know you're listening. I know. I know it's the last thing you do. Before you go to bed, sitting there, listening to me, help you fall asleep. I'm telling you, my friend, you have to send the troops into Kalamazoo. You, the federal government, have to take over this Pfizer plant. Don't don't get rid of the Pfizer people. They know, I mean, look, they're good people. They got scientists, they got doctors, they got all these people. But um, we have to make some doses. And it's not about making a profit anymore. Pfizer is getting paid for this. Every dose, even all the doses are free. Everybody listening, please understand, you'll not pay a dime for your vaccine. The federal government, your tax dollars, is paying Pfizer for uh, the vaccines, and they're paying the hospitals and the doctors and the clinics and everybody else, Walgreens, whoever's dishing out the doses into your arms, uh, that's free. And they're getting big bucks from you through the federal government, your tax dollars. So don't don't write to me and whine about poor Pfizer. They'll get their money, but they they I'm sorry. Uh, yes, Trump's the main cause of this. Yes, his CDC, his FDA, his NIH, the whole damn lot of them. I'm sorry. We should not be in the situation that we're going to lose another 100,000 in the next month. Are you kidding me? Because we don't have doses when we could easily have doses. Mr. Biden, you have to take over all, all production of the vaccines for COVID-19. Pfizer, Moderna. I don't know what the hell's going on with Johnson and Johnson. If there's another, whatever, another one comes up. But the government has to be in charge of this. Roosevelt didn't let the private companies be in charge of World War II. Although, don't worry, they made a lot of money too. 
that'd be a good episode um, one of these days of Rumble. Tell the tell the truth about the war profiteering, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, all of this. But we're not talking about that today. Roosevelt knew, and Truman knew after him, you could not let these corporations, these CEOs, make the decisions and run the show when American lives or any lives around the world are at stake. The government has to take this process over, and I mean over, immediately. And here's the good news. You don't have to retrofit the COVID vaccine plant in Kalamazoo from whatever it was doing before it made the COVID vaccine. The people there don't have to start making bomber jet planes. They don't have to make machine guns. They don't have to build tanks in Kalamazoo. What they have to do is just make more of this vaccine and make a lot of it and make it now. This is, so this should be easy. There's no retrofit. There's no uh, undoing. It's it's already there. Why isn't it done? Well, of course, Pfizer's explanation is, well, Trump only ordered 200 million doses. To do a double vaccine for 300 million people, you need 600 million. And Biden did say, one of his first days in office that he was going to up it. Uh, he was going to order 200 million more from Pfizer and Moderna. And I think they already had 200 million. So that's 400 million, but you need 600 million. Both of those are two dose vaccines, 300 million people times two. Do the math. We, and we need them and we don't, and don't say, Oh no, no, he's going to, he's going to do those last 200 million, but that, that'll be later in the spring. No, we don't. We don't have later in the spring. 100,000 dead just this month. Stop it, folks. Stop it. But when he said this, when he said that this was being uh, produced, first of all, it wasn't going to be enough. But but most importantly, he's, he, 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 he doesn't think that we're going to start seeing these extra doses for another month or two or three. In fact, they moved their promise of getting every American vaccinated uh, from the spring to the summer. And then Fauci contradicted him the next day and said, well, it's really going to be the fall. Okay. So, right. We all decided we, whatever we go with what Fauci says. (laughs) Hmm. You want to wait to the fall? Anybody listening? I'm I'm not talking to the, you know, the people that don't want one. You don't want one, okay? You'll ride, what do they call you, free riders? The rest of the people will get the vaccine, so you don't have to put that in your body because if enough of us get the vaccine, then you're probably protected at that point. We don't need a 100% vaccination to to put an end to this. 75%, 80% be good enough. <laughs> no, President Biden... You have to take this thing over. Your people, put them in charge. Uh, no mercy to the bottom line, to the corporate profiteers. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank thank you, Fi- Pfizer scientists, whatever, what you've done. Uh, God bless you. I mean it, seriously. Um, but y- you might be good at science. Um, you, know, I, you know, maybe I might be okay at making a movie. Uh, but I can't take your car apart and put it back together for you. I'm sorry. 
even though I was born in the place where cars were born, um, I have no idea how to do that. And uh, I'm just going to say that the Pfizer scientists, God bless them, every single one of them, um, don't know how to run a ship. And this has got to be a ship. It's a warship. It's a war that we're fighting to stop this pandemic. And the troops, the federal government, whatever version of it that it has to be, has to take this over right now and start cranking out those doses. Don't be sloppy. Don't be making mistakes while you're in a rush. But the people that could that could build a B-24 every hour, that's us. Um, we should be able to be pumping out thousands and thousands and thousands of these vaccines and these doses every single hour. Okay, that's my that's my plea to President Biden today. Send the troops to Kalamazoo. Send in whatever aspect or part of the federal government has to go there. Let's get these doses made now. Not in the spring, not in the summer, not in the fall. Now. Now. Everybody with me on this? Come on, we have to we have to nudge our beloved new president uh, to take this over. Call the White House. Call the White House right now. Operators are standing by. I'm serious. Or, or wait if you want to wait till when you're sure they're they're there. And if they if a live human doesn't answer, a, a machine will answer. They will record how many people are calling to in order to tabulate how many are demanding that the federal government take over, just like we did in World War II, take over the facilities to make. And and if that facility is enough, then let's then open a second or a third or a fourth, whatever it takes. Come on, man. We're the United States of America. That's all I've heard all my life. Ooh, uh, 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 USA, USA. We're number one. We're number one. Fucking prove it. Call President Biden. 202-456-1111. Yeah, that's our White House. I'll give it again. 202-456-1111. Call and demand that the federal government take over the production of the coronavirus vaccine. Add factories if they need to. We want we want the number of doses that we're going to need in the next month or two, period. That's it. That's it. We can't settle for anything less. Plus, I've been to Kalamazoo. Sending troops there. <laughs> it's a great place. But, you know, they could use a little nudge. That's what I'm saying. So, anyways, before we uh, go on to our next topic here, I want to thank our other underwriter uh, here uh, today, uh, Netflix. They've come back here again uh, this week. So I'm very grateful to Netflix for uh, not just supporting so many excellent documentary films as they do, but also for supporting me and my voice here in this podcast. So I'm uh, grateful to that. There's there's one Netflix film I want to tell everybody about because I think it's it's one of the best uh, documentaries of the year. 
and it's called Dick Johnson is Dead. Yes, that is the title. All right. I had you at dead, right? No, seriously. The film is called Dick Johnson is Dead, and it is uh, filmed and uh, co-written and produced by the great Kirsten Johnson. I've known Kirsten a long time. She has been the cinematographer on uh, a number of my films, including Fahrenheit uh, 9-11, Slacker Uprising. And she was known for many, many years as one of the great documentary cinematographers. And now she's now one of our great documentary filmmakers. And this current one, the one that's out uh, right now on Netflix, Dick Johnson is Dead. It's one of the most unique movies you're going to see, maybe ever see, because Dick Johnson is Kirsten's father, and he is actually dying. So this is a documentary. And he and she, he's like 86 years old, they decided, she asked him, she said, you know, I, I, what if we just had some fun filming you as you're dying? Because it wasn't going to die anytime soon, but he was going to die over the next year or so because of what he had. And he loved this idea. He was, he was, and had been a psychiatrist in his workaday life and loved, well, you can see really, he loves his daughter and would do anything for her. So she could have asked him practically anything. And he would have said, yes, I'm in um, whatever the job is that we have to do. So, so the film begins. And um, what Kirsten has done is when you see this film, she has constructed um, an imaginative and loving and melancholy, uh, but darkly funny film that documents her father's death and celebrates his life. I found it so cathartic. I mean, I lost my dad about, oh, about six years ago now. God, it feels like six weeks ago. But um, I know a lot of you feel the same. And of course, we've had to deal with so much death this year. To watch a film like this, it was so cathartic for me and so embracing of the fact that, yes, of course, we all know we're going to die. And we all know that generally our parents are going to die before us. And we don't want to think about it. And this film allows us to think about it and laugh about it and love about it. It's, it's absolutely no surprise to me that Dick Johnson is dead, has already racked up a whole bunch of awards for Kirsten. It's won the best documentary feature. Uh, this year at the Critics' Choice uh, Documentary Awards. It won the Best Director at the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. And it won the Special Jury Award at the Sundance Festival. A special award for innovation in nonfiction storytelling. And that is the exact thing to call the, the award that Sundance gave her. Because by now you've seen every kind of documentary. What if there's a new kind a new idea, a new way of storytelling that you haven't seen. That's what Dick Johnson is dead is. And that's why I'm encouraging you to see it. And, uh, and, and hopefully Kirsten will come on rumble here sometime in the near future and uh, be my guest. And we can talk about how she made this film and talk about cinema in general. And where is it going in 2021 with this pandemic? So we'll have a good talk about that with her at some point, but watch the film. And my thanks to Netflix again uh, for supporting not only this podcast and my voice, but for supporting the work of great filmmakers like Kirsten Johnson. I, I also have to say, just uh, before we get back into the next thing I want to talk about, I, I, <laughs> I know we're, we're all on Netflix. Let's just admit it here. Netflix has become like a, 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 a step cousin in the family here. They're on the couch with us every night. 
But seriously, um, I have a little group, little group of, you know, sometimes it's just a couple of us. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, four or five of us, but, um, Saturday nights, we try to watch a movie and, um, you know, we're all, we all live separately. So, you know, it's not quite what it could be, but, um, Netflix, you know, has kind of allowed us to do this. And so last night was like, what are we going to watch? Well, it's, what is Netflix? What did they put up this weekend? And all of a sudden there was a new film that none of us had heard about the dig, the dig like D I G with Carrie Mulligan and uh, Ray Fiennes. And it's set in uh, 1938, 39, just before World War II begins in England. And it's about a woman who owns a field, basically. And she thinks there's something buried from long ago in that field. And so she hires uh, an, an amateur archaeologist, digger, who character Ray Fine plays, to find out what's under the ground. And what they find is amazing. What they find out about themselves and about how it feels when war is on the horizon, it's so beautifully done. It's so beautifully made and shot and everything. Um, so uh, um, the, the rest of the podcast is not going to be. <laughs> I should, though, at one of these days, I should start to do just a little a, a podcast that's just movies. Uh, it's what I do for a living. And I. I rarely talk about them, um, and I love to talk about them, and I love to encourage you to see good ones. And uh, so I just told you about two good ones. Um, Dick Johnson is Dead, great new fresh documentary, and a beautiful piece of drama called The Dig. So check it out. Okay, so anyways, uh, uh, moving on, we, uh, the, the, we've gone through a good 12 days now of the Biden era, uh, a little too early uh, to phone in the reviews, but I will say uh, that I have been happy with what I've seen. Now, this does not take away um, all the things I'm not happy about and how much faster I wish things would move. Um, and if you don't like that, that's okay, but that's my job. My job is to push and push and push so that the people of this country get the things that they deserve. And the country itself can become a kinder and gentler and more decent place so that we end the, the systematic embedded racism that defines so much of our policies. Well, I have to say, if you spend any time in the la last this last week, last week, he did like five days, like they were theme days, you know, one day de dealing with American racism, one day dealing with uh, climate uh, emergency, um, one day dealing with the economy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just, I was kind of floored. Um, I thought I was just going to hear a bunch of rhetoric. And what I heard and what I saw was him taking a lot of action. Things that I just like was, whoa. And I wasn't the only one that noticed this. Axios ran a, an article midway through the week. can't remember the exact headline, but it was something like Biden, centrist words, leftist actions. 
like, oh, they'd figured it out. Yes, he he says the he talks in that moderate kind of fashion. You know, let's have unity. Let's uh, let's work with the Republicans. All that. And I know a lot like a lot of friends are saying, ah, do you know say he didn't put a single single Bernie supporter on the cabinet? Twenty three members of the cabinet he couldn't find a single Bernie supporter. And I and then, and it's true. And I some good people got passed over. But then I, I I said to a friend of mine, I said, you know, though, remember he also said back during the campaign he put Republicans in the cabinet, you know, because he was trying to take that middle moderate position. Twenty three cabinet announcements later, he didn't put one Republican on his cabinet. <laughs> Not one. Don't think they haven't noticed. Of course, we're not going to have a single Republican, the the party of sedition, in this cabinet. How are we going to get anything done? These people are nuts, absolutely friggin' nuts. That 147 of them in Congress would 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 vote to not count the votes for president, the people of Arizona and Pennsylvania, and thus overturn an election that millions and millions of Americans by a large margin said they did not want Trump. They wanted Joe Biden. Yet all those people in Congress, Republicans, trying to stop that. On the night after they had been attacked and they had a mob looking for some of them to put a noose around their necks. Anyways, not a single Republican. I know, I know, I know. There are Democrats in this cabinet that should just come out of the closet and announce that they're Republicans because it's kind of how they talk and think and act. But we'll get to that some other day. The point, the point being is that an Axios noted this in their piece. You know, we actually have a very progressive president. No, but nobody's really kind of noticing that um, he isn't trying to find a middle ground on you know, abortion rights or um, minimum wage. Right away on like day one or two last week, he just jacked the minimum wage from seven something an hour for federal employees to $15 an hour. Jacked what would have been called the poverty line from $15,000 a year, earning $15,000 a year to $32,000 a year. Just like that. Stroke of the pen. Now, it's just for federal workers. That's all he can legally do there. But but the Democrats have the House and they've got the Senate. So pass a goddamn $15 an hour minimum wage. Frankly, I think it should be $20 an hour. You know, depending on where you live, $15 an hour is it's not going to cut it. But pass the, that bill. Send it to him. He'll sign that. Boom. Wow. You know, he kept bringing up race too all week long, and not just saying it, but saying what he was going to do about it. <sighs> I didn't expect that. Not what he will do, or how this turns out. You know, who knows? But man, at least to launch out of the gate, talking about race in a in a way that that white presidents, no white president, many reporters pointed this out, no white president in history has made a commitment to solving our racism. 
as much as he's done here at the beginning of his presidency. I also love the way he described the United States. Every time he spoke last week, when he talked about the United States, let's say he was talking about, uh, you know, we're going to do this or that for, you know, he, did, he didn't hear, he never, he never described us as the 50 states. He never described us as uh, uh, all across our states and cities. None of that. No. Which is, we're used to that. That's what, you know. No. Every time he referred to the United States like that, he would say, um, all across America, in our states, our tribes, and our territories. Or, I'm going to send in X number of uh, federal dollars to help out our states, tribes, and territories. He kept saying this over and over again. The first time he said it, I had to like wind it back. I'm like, what did he, what was the second word? Tribes? I mean, seriously, folks, anybody listening to this, have you ever heard a president of the United States when talking about the United States refer to as one of the three things that make up the United States, our tribes. Never. And he just kept saying it. Our states, our tribes, and our territories. Territories? What ter- what's he talking about? Territories? Oh, yeah, of course, Puerto Rico. Oh, and, yeah, Virgin Islands. Guam. And, 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 wait for it, our biggest territory, the District of Columbia. The people who have a, a um, what do they call their member of Congress? It's like a um, uh, an audience member <laughs> because they don't get to vote. They don't have a say. They don't have a say. It's a majority black city. And we all know that's why they don't have a say. And the Republicans have stopped this for so many years. They're not going to stop. I got to, I believe, I believe if Biden has two terms or Biden and and Kamala or two terms of Biden and, and, and two of Kamala, that's a long time. I believe that the District of Columbia is going to be our 51st state as it should be. And if the people of Puerto Rico or Virgin Islands want to do that, they should be able to do that. Territories. The tribes, he signed a thing saying that he was going to honor the sovereignty of our native peoples and their land. Talked about all the broken treaties and all the broken promises. And he said, not, not for me, folks. Wow. Wow. So it's not to him, it's not just the 50 states. It's the states, the tribes, and the territories. Um, and it was just stuff like that all week. His, his press secretary, Jen uh, Saki, you know, held a, a news conference every day, answered everybody's question. Um, when she didn't have an answer, she said she, said she didn't know and she'd get back to them. It was just like after four years of what we've put up with. One, one of the days, I believe it was, it was her. Yes. It, it, she was finishing her press conference and she was kind of packing up her papers and her files. Somebody shouts out. Hey, what about Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill? And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing that too. (laughs) I don't know. By this point, he'd signed over 40 executive orders undoing all the damage. Not all the damage, but a lot of the damage that Trump had done. After all that, doing this, doing that. 
Oh yeah, she's oh yeah, she's doing so much. We forgot to tell you. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're doing. She's going on the twenty dollar bill. Yeah, we got the printing plates. They're left over from when when Obama said we're putting Harriet Tubman on the on the twenty dollar bill, and of course Trump came along. No, no, we kept all that. We kept the ink. We got it. We're all set to go. So we're gonna have Harriet Tubman on the twenty dollar bill. I know it's a little thing. It's a little thing, but. But, right, folks, um, so far, so good. The jury's out. We're not giving him the good housekeeping seal of approval. Um, we have a lot of things that we need and want and we're going to push for. But, I, you know, that thing with him, you know, talking about during the campaign, how he and Bernie are good friends and Bernie saying the same thing, that they're actually, they like each other and they're good friends. I don't know. You know, I haven't talked to Bernie about this, but I got to believe, I got to believe they've been talking somehow, some way. You know, when I saw on Inauguration Day, Bernie sitting there cross-legged with his big mittens on in that chair, nothing on top of his head, my first thought was, Yoda. Yoda's at the Inauguration. He's sitting there behind Biden. Then 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 after 12 days of Biden, I realized, oh, he's not just Yoda. He's Biden's Yoda. Because Biden is doing not everything, but so much of what Bernie fought for for so many years. Bernie and the Progressive Caucus fighting for these things. And now, in his own way, again, not the way we do it, not the speed at which we do it, one by one saying, I'm going to do this, and not just saying it, signing a thing, meaning it's done. We're doing it. And I thought, that's the, that's the real meme of Bernie. Bernie is Biden's Yoda. Because we're getting, we're getting a version of Bernie right now. We're getting a Biden Bernie. A double B. Again, not what Bernie would have done, but still. And look, I know if, if this is bothering <laughs> some of you like, Mike, what drug are you on? Um, I, well, I don't, why would I be doing any of this really if I didn't have some form of optimism in me? Not fake hope. I live in the real world. I know what we're up against. Make no mistake about where the real power is. It's not in Biden's hands. We know that. We know how money and capitalism, everything works in this country. We know the fight that's ahead of us to make it a real democracy, a real economic democracy. All that lies ahead of us. But for right now, after fighting for so many years, fighting so hard to get rid of Trump, having it almost not happen, which became scary to so many people, that that these first 12 days were not what I would have predicted. So, apologies to the Bidens that I didn't have that kind of faith in them, but that's okay. I haven't seen much from the Democratic Party over the years that would require me to have any faith, really. So let down, so disappointed. Letting Flint rot 
eight years of a Democratic president. Where was Flint, Detroit, other places at the end of that eight years? So, but, but if we don't, when these moments happen and we realize, oh, oh, that's not so bad, is it? You know, we got to kind of grab onto that. Because if we just if we just live in a place of misery, in a in a state of cynicism, where's that going to lead us? Not to a good place. So I'm going to take my momentary sense of joy. That might be too strong, but I'll take it for now. I need it. I'm not giving up on everything else that we need to do. I'm just, I'm just, you got to feed your soul a little bit. And when the other side, in this case, the other side of the Democratic Party, the moderate wing of the Democratic Party, when they do some good things, can't we say thank you? Can't we say to ourselves, wow, if you could do that, what else could you do? What else could you do? You could do a lot of good. And you could send the troops to Kalamazoo, goddammit. Take over at Pfizer factory and start pumping out those doses. What's a frequency can at the show? Before we go any further, I'm going to wrap wrap up the podcast here. But um, I, I want to thank uh, our longtime underwriter, uh, Gabby, uh, G-A-B-I. You remember them. Uh, they're back with us for another year here in 2021 to support Rumble and to make sure that my voice is heard by as many people as possible. So I'm very grateful uh, to Gabby. Uh, now, if you don't know what Gabby is, it, that's the company that helps you save money that you'd otherwise be forking over to the insurance company. So it's not an insurance company. It's like the, uh, the Travelocity, you know, the, uh, you know, it's like Travago. Remember back in the days when we used to fly or get a hotel room? Yeah. So you may not, younger people may not know what Travago is, but this is what, but this is what Gabby does because, because the pandemic, even though we may not be flying on planes, uh, we still have to pay our car insurance. We still have to pay insurance for the house or the apartment in which we live. So their mission right now is to find you the cheapest insurance to cover the same exact, whatever it is you need covered, but you're probably paying more than you need to. In fact, they know this from their own data that you're paying uh, an average of $961 a year more than you should be paying for your car and your house insurance. Now we all you know, hate the insurance companies. Let's just admit this, right? So what Gabby does is they take the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with over 40 of the top insurance providers. You know, the companies you've heard of, you know, Progressive, Nationwide, Travelers Insurance, all right? But they're not connected to them. Here's the deal. They will do the search for you to find the cheapest and best rate for you and help you sign up, but you don't have to pay them a dime. Gabby is completely free. They get their money from the insurance companies. 
because they brought the company a new client, you. So I'm going to tell you just from my, my own personal experience and friends and people have listened to this podcast and have written to me telling me how much they've saved by this wonderful underwriter who, who came to us first because they just liked the podcast and wanted my voice heard, but also thought that maybe, maybe uh, they could do well by being an underwriter of Rumble. And I think that's what's happened. And that's why they have signed on for uh, an entire year for us here. This is such good news uh, for Rumble and, and our ability to keep this thing going. So as I mentioned, Gabby customers save an average of $961 a year. Um, and oh, the other good thing about them is they will never sell your information. So you're not going to get any annoying spam or robocalls or so check them out. There's no obligation. Just go to Gabby, G-A-B-I.com, Gabby.com slash rumble, right? You got that? G-A-B-I.com slash rumble. Uh, go there and maybe you'll get some good help from these good people who support uh, my podcast. Gabby.com slash rumble. So we're back here and uh, not much more to go. I, I just want to give you a filibuster update um, on our last uh, episode. Uh, we had on uh, Adam Gentleson, who was the deputy chief of staff for Harry Reid when he was the majority leader for the Democrats in the United States Senate, the job that uh, Chuck Schumer has right now. And uh, we had the great podcast with him. But, and, but right after we finished recording it, Mitch McConnell came out and said that he wasn't going to filibuster the organizing resolution. Now, the organizing resolution, of course, is just a uh, standard thing that every new Congress does and passes. It takes about five minutes. He was going to, or he was going to stop the Democrats from taking over the committees and being the majority party, which they are in the United States Senate. Um, well, by the time we were done with the podcast, um, he changed his mind. He said, no, no filibuster. But I, I got a lot of mail from you people after you listened to the episode saying, hey, Mike, Mike, we won. The filibuster's gone. No, I, I just need to tell you it's not gone. It's gone for just that one moment, for that one resolution. This is going to continue to be a fight. And, and so far, it seems that Biden and Schumer and Pelosi and all the Democrats there in D.C. Are, are ready to do battle. They're not going to let the Republicans, who are the minority, in other words, the party of the American people, did not want running the United States of America. That's who the Republicans are. The party that, that, that the majority does not want around its children. The children, being, of course, are facets of our U.S. government. But that doesn't, they still have these tools that they can use to muck things up, slow it down, stop it. They have no intention of letting Biden get his $1.9 trillion COVID relief package passed to help the American people. They are still planning on fighting this. Please let your conservative brother in laws and your uncles know what these Republicans are up to to hurt people who need their help. That could be, that person in need of that help could be your conservative brother-in-law, your conservative uncle. Pass this around. 
let them know what these bastards are up to. They still plan to filibuster. They still plan to say that Democrats can't pass anything unless they have 60 votes. When a majority, you pass something when you've won the majority, you got the majority of votes, which in the U.S. Senate is 51 votes, 50 Democratic senators, one Democratic vice president of the United States equals the majority. So this is not over. Don't think, don't think that this is over. Yes, Schumer, and is, they have their little tricks. They're talking about things that we don't even want to get into here and reconciliation and things where they can kind of do an end run. Uh, they get like two free passes this year if they want to pass something with 50, 51 votes. They should be able to pass everything with 51 votes. That's exactly how we want them to behave. No wimping out. No wimping out put the Republicans right in the place that they've put themselves, which is on the opposite side of the majority of the American people. So um, keep pounding away at your senators that you are against the filibuster and you want it permanently removed. Be sure and call Democratic senators, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema uh, from Arizona, Need to call those two. They're the, they, they've somehow have promised McConnell that they'll never get rid of the filibuster. You are Democrats. You're getting rid of the filibuster. Stop this nonsense right now. Uh, pound away um, on them. Call them. Okay, I got to give you another number now. This is not the White House number. Call the U.S. Senate, 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. Call, call them and and ask uh, to speak to either Senator Manchin or Senator Cinema, and and then let their staff person who picks up the phone know that you insist that they stop the filibuster, all filibusters. All right, and and then let your own senators know because this is going to come up for a vote. And I know you're saying, oh, I know, but I have Republican senators. That's okay. Let them know. Because, you know, they may not agree with you, but they want to get reelected. They would hate to lose the cushy job they've got. So let them know and get all your friends and family and everybody calling your Republican senators, letting them know that, you know, you know what happened in Georgia, in Arizona. You know, we, we got rid of you. We got rid of Republican senators, too, in Georgia. And one in Arizona. And we're not, I'm not talking about cinema in Arizona. I got rid of the other Republican and replaced her with Gabby Giffords' husband, Mark Kelly. Uh, Mr. Gabby Giffords. My friends, this is serious stuff. I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of goofing around here, but um, they need to know that we're not going to tolerate this anymore. So everybody, right, we're all on board. Stop the Republicans. Remove the Republicans. This the. The Sedition Caucus, everybody who voted to overturn our votes, the majority for Joe Biden, they all have to go. Those Republicans have to go. They have to be removed. It's easy to do. Two-thirds vote. Two-thirds vote and you're gone. Certainly in the House. Certainly there's going to be enough Republicans to know that the best way to, to make sure that they're not going to be removed themselves is to get behind the effort to remove those who supported the demands of the terrorists who attacked the Capitol. So listen, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody for participating here in rumble. And, um, we're, like I said, we're off to a new start here in our second season. Um, 
We are working on some things and some ideas that I think you're going to like over the coming months. And um, I, I can't wait to, to involve you in my mischief. So um, please uh, stay tuned with that. Um, please share this podcast with your family and friends. All you got to do is hit the share button. You know, look for it, the share arrow, the share button, whatever it is on your, on your platform that you're listening to me on. And, and share it with friends and family. Uh, give them a chance to, to listen to it. It's free. You know, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, um, uh, go ahead and do that. That's free. Just subscribe uh, to us and, and uh, you'll get a notice. Anytime I have a, a new episode, uh, you'll be notified. I love to hear from you. Um, send me an email. I read all my emails. You send it to me at Mike at michaelmore.com. That's it. Uh, if you can't remember that, there's a link right here on the podcast page, uh, or, or, or leave me a voicemail. I listen to all my voicemails. Um, so, uh, please do that. I, I, I don't have time to call you back. I'm sorry about that, but I get a lot of voicemail. I get a lot of email, but I, I do want to hear your feedback. I do want to hear your thoughts, your ideas, things you think I should be covering or whatever. Um, right here, there's a link right on this podcast page. Uh, you just uh, click the link and all of a sudden you're like on my phone line and you've got um, one minute to say whatever you want to say. So please do that. And um, and we'll be back soon uh, here in a few days uh, with our next uh, episode of Rumble. I want to thank uh, my executive producer, Basil Hamden, our editor and uh, sound engineer, Nick Quaz. Um, I want to thank you, all of you who listen uh, to this uh, podcast. And um and if if you're feeling like I do that maybe maybe some good things happened in the last uh, week or two in spite of all the bad that's going on uh let's grab it let's run with it um and and let's let this administration know how we feel about these critical issues that we need them to take action on right now okay everybody that's it for me today here on Rumble um thanks and we'll talk soon I'm Michael Moore and this is Rumble